We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped gum to teeth in your throne tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jaren Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Hi all, I'm Jared Zerf, and this is Here Be Tigers, the only podcast show where we take life by the tail. Here with me today is Julie Sayant, a certified life optimization coach, equine communicator, empath, and light worker, who speaks, writes, and generally works with humans and the sacred wisdom of horses to make the world a better place. Julie, welcome. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Jared. I'm thrilled to be here. I have not yet interviewed anyone who works within this field, so this will be kind of a fascinating journey for both of us. Yes, this will be fun. During our last conversation, there was a there was a moment you shared with me that I think best demonstrates who you are, what you do, and why. This was a an older horse I think you were working with, and an, an owner of that horse who was perhaps not the most generous or careful human being. The uh, incident that you're referring to probably uh, is the one that uh, when I first understood that horses were speaking with me. I was at a barn. I was 15 years old and there was a man who had a beautiful mare. She was a wonderful horse and he was very cruel to her. He would beat her religiously and ride Mm. the heck out of her and then put her in her stall wet and leave. And one night he came and he actually rode her through barbed wire fence and it was awful. She was bleeding. So she's bleeding around her ankles, her hocks, and she's wet and she's breathing hard and she's in so much pain. And he just left. He just left the barn. And I ran over to her stall and she said to me, help me, help me. And she said, what did I do wrong? And it really broke my heart. And I like a child. Yeah. I of course got help for her, but I didn't really process that I had actually heard her mind to mind. And I'd Mm -hmm. actually understood what she had said to me until a little bit later on. But that was kind of the first big incident that I'd had, uh, you know, with communicating with animals, especially horses. Did you have horses or other animals when you were a child? Did you grow up around them? Or is this more of an adult path you're you're undertaking here? No, I've been riding since I was five years old and I've always had a dog and cats so I've always probably spoken to them and gotten, you know, their their energy. Hmm. But the horses give you more of sentences uh, with images, whereas dogs give you maybe a little bit less. They give you a couple of words here and there with images, but horses seem to give you a little bit more of a completed sentence. Why do you think that is? Well, they have the brain of a nine-year-old, so they uh, understand verbal and nonverbal cues. It's also been proven by science that they understand what your face looks like when you're happy and what your face looks like when you're angry, as well as any incongruency. So there was a test done recently, a study last year in Mm -hmm. Tokyo, I believe, and they put a picture of a happy face, a smiling person, and then behind that, they would have somebody saying something like, you're a bad horse, you're a terrible horse. And so it was incongruent for the horse. And the horse looked at the picture 1.4 times longer than 
a congruent picture. So because they are so smart and so healing, I think that's why they gave me so much more in terms of words and images. They actually give conversations. Hmm. I'm on my fourth dog now, and I know it took friends and family a long time to be comfortable with the idea that you could converse with them, and not just as in order, gesture, but go wake your father up. Runs over, pulls on the bed, doesn't wake him up, runs back, woof. Did you try hard enough? (sighs) Runs back and tries again. (laughs) And halfway through the conversation, you realize that you're not, there's no order in there. There's just simply a fluid conversation where the two of you, either through verbal or body language, understand what the other is saying. And it seems weird for an outsider to observe, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when you are living in it, it becomes your everyday. I agree. And I, I know that animals, especially dogs and cats as well, they take on our energy and they try to help us. For instance, if I have a migraine or if I'm not feeling well, you know, my dog will come lay next to me and my cats will come lay either, you know, next to me or on top of me. And they're trying to help with raise your vibration. And I know it sounds a lot of, you know, a little bit woo woo to some people, Mm. but if you think about it, if you've had a dog or a cat for a um, number of years, I'm sure you know by the looks that they give you what they want. There's one look for food. There's one look for comfort. (laughs) I'm sure that you know these things. You may not have ever put um, actually, you know, you know, associated it with exactly what it is, but there's that communication, that understanding there, and that's the framework for everything that I do that you're doing with your dog. The very first day we brought her home, she was seven weeks and she was two pounds, three ounces. So tiny. And I remember I was preparing the house because the stairways are old. The slats between the parts of the the grate are too wide. So a small animal could slip through and yes. it's a split level. So I was putting in fencing to guard all of that. And they come in with this small fuzzy thing that doesn't even fit into the winter park or someone has loaned her. She's falling out of that too. And <laughs> she fits into the palm of my hand. This is how tiny she is. She's got little brown brows and a little nose and giant paws that are brown. It looks like a teddy bear, except, you know, the miniature kind. Uh-huh. Put her on the ground and I we go to retrieve a cookie, put it in my hand because you're teaching them to take, to take from you, to, to there's that bonding. There's the oxytocin. Part of this is the pure science of watching the oxytocin cycles that are the same as when you bring home a newborn child and that connection forms through the biochemical. Whatever language you want to use, there's an actual phenomenon that is observable that is similar for both humans and young animals. And here she is looking at me, looks at the cookie in my hand, and she promptly takes her little paw and waves it up and down at me. <gasps> and I look oh. and go, No. And then she looks at me and waves her popping down again. I go, no. And then she goes, snorts and takes her paw and shoves my palm into the floor. Oh. <laughs> I want it down there. Wow. One, there's, there's a, if you were not believe, if you did not believe there's a consciousness at work of some kind there before, that simple negotiation of no, this is what I want. Why don't you understand me? Fine. Here we go. That demand just takes the palm, shoves it into the floor. I want it this way. I'm in charge. And I'm tiny. And yeah, it's a personality consciousness. I know research is still delving into the the science of all that, but the phenomena, as I think you're saying, are observable. Yes. So she basically was telling, so that's exactly what will happen. What you just described is exactly the framework of the conversation between the human and the animal and that 
bonding experience that you mentioned is what most, hopefully most owners will go through or anybody that works with the animals. But what she did, Jared, is that she basically starts out the conversation lightly as we would. And then it's, it gets to a point where it's like, no, you're not understanding me. I'm going to go a little bit firmer. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes where the breakdown or breakthrough happens. It just depends on the situation because every situation is different. But for you, obviously, it was a breakthrough and a little bit funny, but a little bit amazing at the same time. And now you have such a close bond. How much of the conflict that arises from those breakdowns occurs as a result of us anthropomorphizing animals and assuming they want and think and feel exactly as we do? Because they they do have their own minds, but that doesn't mean those minds work the way ours do entirely. Yes, amazing. So I would say at least 85%. So the reason I say that is because Their minds don't work. I'll take horses as an example. So horses are prey animals, Mm -hmm. which means that they are always on the lookout for the big dragon that's going to eat them. And because they can see so far and their eyes are on, on the side of their head, they can hear up to three miles. They sense things that we don't even sense yet. They hear things and sense movement. And then they get into that flight or fight mode. So basically they are always on guard. And a lot of times, because the humans are not on guard and we're thinking, oh, we're the boss, their thoughts are not our thoughts. They're completely different. But I will tell you that they all have their own personalities, just Mm -hmm. like your dog. Some are funny. Some are serious. Some don't want to talk. Sometimes I'll walk in the bar and they turn their butt to me like, I'm not interested today. I'm not feeling great. (laughs) Or I don't want to deal with you right now. And some are chatty Cathy's. It's just, they're all different, just like people. But I will tell you the most interesting part of it is that they will say things to me and they don't have a lot of emotion. It's kind of like, it is what it is. Hmm. It's like, this person did this to me. It's not like they're crying. It's like, it's just a fact, like this happened. But the beauty is that they forgive so rapidly like dogs that I'm sure you've seen that have been abused and then they get rescued and they're still wagging their tails. They forgive instantly because they live a hundred percent in the present all the time because they have to, because they're prey animals. It just, it strikes me again, that story you shared with us at the beginning of this, this man who wants to ride a horse. And I suppose that is the best way to describe it. He wants to ride a horse. The horse is an object that he wants to enjoy the benefit of. Yes. And when it does not do what he wants it to, he regresses like most of us do when we don't get our way and punishes the thing that doesn't work as he wants it to. And yet the horse is sitting there going, what have I done wrong? Right. Or trying to convey to you, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong, but please tell me so I can stop. Yes. And that we look at this as human to animal, but then I wonder how many humans he's like. I wonder, one, if he's like that to other people, or if this is a, a divide between the species that he makes for himself. But I, my, my feeling, my gut suspicion is that he's the same way with people. I would agree. I never saw him happy. He always used to beat her uh, regularly. It was a horrible thing. Instead of choosing her to be his treasure, as most animals should be, he thought of her as a car. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people in the world who still think that horses are like cars and you get in and you get out. And it's just not that simple. They have feelings. They have feelings. I mean, you know, it's... It's kind of like us. Like sometimes, you know, you might have a a little bit of a headache or you're super tired. Mm -hmm. It takes you a little bit longer if you go to the gym to warm up. And other days, you know, you can get right into it. But you're a thinking, feeling, moving being. And you're reacting to anything and everything around you. And Jared, when you bring your energy and your storm, if you will, from your day 
or your nervousness about tomorrow, all to the horse, the horse reacts to your energy and your electromagnetic field and to what you're sending out, even if you don't realize it. It's, it's so peculiar to me because we do we project feelings and thoughts and identities onto inanimate objects. We name our cars, we name our computers, we name our, our smartphones now. As much as we are giving life to things that perhaps do not have them per se, we subtract it or remove it or do not assume or expect it from those that do. And I, I want to kind of dig back a little into your past here. What were the first few times, what were the first few moments that you began to observe not the relationship humans have with animals, but animals have with humans, what their approach or their way of dealing with us is? Well, I'll tell you that there were, uh, my dog, I, you know, we've always had springers in our family and there was a time when I was really nervous. There was somebody at our door and I was probably only about eight years old and we have always had big springers Mm -hmm. and springers are not, our springers have been naturally protective because they've been bred, you know, we breed them to the females until, you know, we get them fixed afterwards. But the ones that we've had have always been pretty big, but they're, as you know, springers are very lovable Mm -hmm. 99% of the time. Well, this one time uh, somebody was coming to the door and I was all by myself waiting for my mother to come home. And I just got a very uneasy feeling because I'm so intuitive. I didn't feel like it was somebody knocking on the door for a good reason. Mm -hmm. And remember, this is back in the day when, you know, people would knock on your door for encyclopedias and things. This was a long time ago. Not like today. (laughs) um, No, no, they sell power. Yeah. I just got very nervous and unsure. And my intuition was kind of all the bells were ringing and that dog stood up and he actually sat right in front of me as if to say, I am protecting you. Nothing's coming through that door. I'm not going to let anybody hurt you. And I tried to move him aside. Like, it's okay. You know, I'm the human. I should Mm -hmm. be protecting you. It's okay. Even at eight years old. And he would not budge. He would not budge. And I clearly felt like, no, I am doing this for you and you need to let me do it. This is my job. All animals love a job, by the way, if you don't know that. And it can be walking. It can be a fun time with you. It's ball, playing fetch ball, whatever it is. But that was one of the first times that I remember I was actually really scared and nervous as a child and didn't know what to do. And that dog was taking the role of, I'm your protector. You've helped me. You've given me shelter and food and love. I'm part of the family. They they believe they're an integrated part of the family. Mm -hmm. They're a member. And I'm protecting you right now because you're too little to handle this. Well, that is part of the domestication process is one, I wouldn't call it per se the infantilization, but it does make them progress or move toward more of a, a youthful through adolescence type of behavior. And some species more perhaps toward an adult level, like a horse, dogs are variable, I'd say, by what we expect of them. But there is this belief, I think, often on both parts from the human and the animal, that the unit species is not the defining line between what is family and what is not here. And I know, particularly if you raise animals together of different species, they will stretch that boundary even further. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I've got two cats and a dog and they are, and I don't have any children. So animals are everything to me and they're part of the family and they know their roles. They love each other. Uh, The cats chase each other, but they pay attention to the dog. If the dog's not feeling well, the cat will come in and try to help with her energy it's pretty incredible. It, you know, so you've got the cat trying to help me if I have a migraine and then she's trying to help the dog and then the dog will get concerned about the cat. If the cat doesn't <laughs> feel well, it's amazing. It's a family unit and it's all based on the bonding that you can create and they create on their own. 
as they're seeing each other and they're living together every day and they're experiencing things together. You know, they're going out in the living room together and hanging out as buddies. It's amazing. Let me ask you, how much of your work would you say is helping animals and people find their purpose together? 75%. Why is that? Because I think there's a big disconnect that I see between animals and humans that the humans don't understand what the animal's trying to say. And some people don't even realize that their animal's trying to tell them something. I can't tell you how many times I'd be out for a walk with my dog and I'll encounter someone else's dog. And the dog comes up to me and starts speaking to me, mind to mind. Mm -hmm. The dog's telling me and I'm telling the person just as I'm speaking to you now, oh, your dog loves you. Oh, your dog... And they kind of just look at me and it goes right over their head and I can see that. <laughs> and then I'll say, I'm an, I'm a communicator. I can understand your dog. This happened yesterday at the beach, actually. Okay. And so they had an older dog and a younger dog. And I could tell both the dogs went right to me and I was talking to them. And I, I said, oh, they love you guys so much. And they're so glad that they're together. And they looked at me and I said, well, I'm a communicator. I can, I can understand them. And they're kind of telling me what, you know, they're saying and right over their heads, like, oh, that's nice. I know... <laughs> no idea what was going on. So I'm basically, I think of myself as I'm the in-between for the human and the animal. I'm that person that's going to give you the information. And what I've tried to learn is that once that's done, that's my job. Hmm. And then wherever that goes afterwards, sometimes the saddest part is if they don't, you know, humans don't listen at all. You can lead a but, horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. That's right. That's right. Although human but, is perhaps the more appropriate one there. <laughs> yeah. But what I'm trying to do is let people know that they are a feeling, thinking being, and they understand you so much more than you think. And you know, they know when you don't feel good. And and I think part of the reason why people love animals so much is the complete acceptance. And that's why I, I fell in love with them because I never really fit in at school I was always a little bit different because I was so intuitive and mm -hmm. picking up on people's energy and animals just accept you. They, they love you unconditionally. And that's actually a truth. They love you no matter what. I think in a way, the abusive relationships, I'm not saying this is a psychological expert, particularly across species, but at least from what I've observed in a way, the abusive relationships are even more sad, depressing because that understanding that you will still be loved no matter what, I think gives some people the feeling of leeway that they can indulge in their worst behaviors and still receive the affection that they need. Mm -hmm. Right. And people are complicated. They're messy. They, you, you, you should not get an animal for the same reasons you should not have a child to repair your relationship. There's a lot of things animals can't do for you. Mm -hmm. And I think let's, let's delve into that. What can, animals and since you work specifically with horses what can what can they help you with and what can't they they can help you with anxiety depression ptsd autism multiple sclerosis they can help you they help older people who they help with their cognitive abilities uh, and they help humans uh, develop a stronger knowledge of themselves because they are a mirror of your energy and mm. your and how you interact with them they cannot replace a child. They cannot make you understand them all the time, although they will definitely try, just like the <laughs> example that your dog did. Yeah, They're going many. to try. And what they do is they try to pull you into the present. So it, a lot of the time I teach mindfulness because 
It's all about being here now 100% of the time. I'm here right now. I'm talking to you. I'm 100% focused on you. But a lot of times, obviously, as we're busy people and we're thinking about what's on our phones and what we have to do, we don't come to them in that in that original being present thought process. So they will try to bring you there by they will breathe deeply. That's a calming signal from them to calm the human down. So they're very soothing. They're very healing but they cannot replace or help someone if they are psychologically completely broken. There's only so much they can do. And they also cannot repair marriages and more complex problems with humans they cannot fix. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, yeah. yeah. My, one of my <laughs> former neighbors upstairs, they moved to a house because that was their dream. They had this adorable dog. And I asked one day the story of how she'd acquired him. And she said, oh, he was my ex's. <laughs> got rid of oh. him, kept the dog. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> her, her, as far as her understanding, he had picked up the puppy for her. So when she was tired of him, the dog was still for her. And he was a very happy, nearly toothless little old yeah, Just imagine like the little old man on the stoop in the Bronx watching everything go by. That was his day. And he loved it. Was still oh. a guard dog despite not having all his teeth. If you've ever seen an animal, a dog, a cat, a horse grin, it is an uncommon Thing. In, some, in some ways, uncanny because it's not a human smile, but it is usually quick and immediate. Yes. And they want you to see it, too, which is the other part. They want you to see. I've had four dogs. Before I was born, my family had dogs. So I grew up with two who were guard breed, and one slept under the crib, one kept the front door secure at all times. And they were not large animals. The older of the two was 30 pounds, the younger was 20 something. But you would not understand or believe that if you only if you heard them from the outside, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they would quickly judge who was worthy of being within the family and who was not. Our third dog, <laughs> she was by no means a guard dog. Anybody could come to the door and she'd roll over onto her back because what she <laughs> wanted most was attention and affection. And I think perhaps in many ways she was the right dog for us at the time. My my father had just had a heart attack. And was recovering from the surgery. And like many people in that phase of his life, in their late 60s, who've had heart surgery, the impulse is to do nothing and be still because you're afraid of what you'll do to yourself next. Mm-hmm. But here yes. is this four-month-old little furball that desperately needs to go outside at all times. <laughs> and for yes. whatever reason, of all the dogs we've ever had, this one did not know how to go for a walk on a leash. So we okay. took her outside, and you put the leash on her, and you'd walk four feet, and she'd walk four feet and sit down again. And it took weeks, but my dad had to go out constantly and walk with her and socialize and exercise. And my brother, as I, as I mentioned before to you, is autistic. He is, as I think they've re-diagnosed most recently, is on the, as on the Asperger's spectrum. But when he was much younger, he had a difficult time understanding how other people's and other other living creatures' minds worked and mm-hmm. what they were trying to say to him. And he was rough with her because he was, I think, still conceptually trying to understand that this was a living creature mm-hmm. that had thoughts and feelings and moods and desires and would sometimes grumble and say, I'm sleeping, leave me alone. Also, I think even simpler things like, you are large, she is tiny, be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. You yep. trying to pick up and hug her what is gentle to you might not be to her. She was a blessedly patient animal because he was a bit rough until he started to fully understand through that feedback and communication and response and her being louder and more direct when she needed to. 
I don't like that. Or, Mm -hmm. but by the same token, even if he had misbehaved, if you were chiding him on it, she would go running up to you, the person who was making him sad, and hit you and bark at you. Mm. Wow. She might argue with him over who got to sit on a table, who got to sit on the bed, who got the toy, who got the attention. But if he ever felt threatened or scared, whoever was the cause of that had to deal with her. Uh-huh. Wow. And that's it's fascinating because you're not looking at, you're looking at what is occasionally like a sibling rivalry dynamic when they're vying for the same thing. But when it came to taking care of, she in her own mind saw him as needing her to take care of him. And yes. likewise, the rest of us, when we were ill or injured, I know there's research, I don't remember the exact studies, some of this is quite old. They, they can, for instance, and are used to smell out and detect and alert for diabetes and other biological or other largely biological illnesses. And I know for seizures, they're also used as well as an early alert system. Yes. And depression, we've, the cats and dogs particularly have been used for a long time yeah. as treatment. So I think it's fascinating to me that we are, I guess, in a cultural sense, willing to kind of embrace the the most surface elements of this. But walk me through, what is that conversation like usually when you are one-on-one or with a family trying to help them heal along with their animals? I'm usually trying to establish or reestablish a bond between the animal and the human. So if one hasn't been created, I'm starting from scratch and I'm trying to get them to open their minds up just a little bit or enough so that they can understand that the information that I'm giving them is real and it's really coming from their animal. And usually the only way this happens is if I just give them, I tell them exactly, and I have to do it word for word or they get really angry with me, <laughs> exactly what they say. It's it's funny because a, a woman I used to work with, she brought me to her farm once and she was intuitive, but she was, her horse was trying to tell her something, but she couldn't understand what it was. Mm-hmm. And they'll tell me funny things too. Like the horse, you know, I said, he's got shiny object syndrome. He's going around and every time he looks at something, he goes in a different direction. She started laughing and she said, okay, now I believe you're the real deal because that's exactly how he is. So what I'm trying to do is get them to understand that this is a living, breathing creature. As you said, it has needs, it has feelings. Mm -hmm. It's not a car. It's not something you can put away and just forget about. And then we go through usually certain scenarios where we can strengthen the bond. And that's with simple understanding and tools that I give to them. And a lot of times it can be as simple as them learning how to be mindful of where they are right now, which is if you really are concentrating on your dog or your cat or your horse and really present, they are going to give you signals that will clue you in as to what they're trying to to get from you or the help that they need or what they need at the moment. My kid has a certain look when he wants food. It's a, it's a same every single time. <laughs> um, my dog has a certain look when he wants to go outside. They, but without even saying anything, you know, without barking or, you know, the cat putting the paw on your arm, after a while, if you're present, you get to know it because it's repetition. It's the same thing with horses. So we're just trying to really establish a, a connection and a, a communication. And then it's all about a conversation. Are there any particular cases or moments that stand out most to you through your journey of working in this field? Things that I think, to your mind, your experience demonstrate both the, I'm trying to find the right words here, but the most, because I don't think success is the right word at all. It's not about a, I'm struggling because I don't want to use business language for this. It's not a transaction. Mm -hmm. 
And I guess what I'm trying to figure out here is when has this worked best in the moments that you've been within this career, within this profession, within this pur- this life purpose that you serve? And when is it not and why? When have you walked away and said, I, I can't do more here, or this is because of who you are and where you're at, not going to progress any further? It works best when the human is concerned enough about the animal and they've already either tried to establish a communication and a bond with the animal or they're struggling. Maybe they had a bond and then they had an injury and now they don't even trust themselves. So they've Mm. got their own anxiety to deal with, which does affect the horse because the horse is 50% of the partnership. That's when it's the best. When it's the worst, and I'll tell you one time, this just happened about a year ago and it's it's never really left me and it's always bothered me. Mm-hmm. There was a horse that was uh, directly across from my horse, Zeus, in the stall. So I would see him every day and he was a thoroughbred. He was a, a wonderful horse, very talkative, very expressive. His owner, again, a very cruel person. Mm. Now, my horse hated this person. Horses and dogs, they are very similar in that they have people they like and there's people they don't like. So there are horses like mine that are not all, hey, you know, I love everyone. It's not like that. She was especially cruel to this horse. She would beat him to the point where I told her, you know, if I see this again, I'm going to actually videotape you and send this somewhere because he didn't do anything wrong to initiate such a beating as you're giving him. Um, But anyways, he called me over and said to me, listen, I'm getting older and she's jumping me and my feet really, really hurt and I can't do this anymore. You have got to tell her that I'm willing to do anything else, but I cannot jump anymore for her. It's hurting me. It's it's really, really difficult. And I kind of, you know, thought, okay, well, she she didn't ask me for help, right? So this Mm -hmm. is the horse coming to me, not the human. And this does happen a lot. And I said, okay, well, let me, let me figure out when I can say this to her. And I kind of sat on it for two days. And every time I go to the barn, he'd be like, did you tell her yet? Did you tell her yet? So I finally pulled her aside and I told her exactly what he'd said. And she laughed at me and she said, yeah, really? Okay. I don't really believe that. And I said, well, <laughs> that's your choice. I said, but I can tell you that he, I know he's having issues with his feet. Am I right? And she said, yes. And I said, I'm just asking you to consider that he is getting older and this is really difficult for him. Mm. And she kind of went on her merry way and she continued on as if I'd never said a word. And I felt so bad for him because this is a different scenario. It's not the human coming to me. It's the horse coming to me and saying, Hey, I need some help over here. I'm raising my hand and I'm giving that information to the human and the human is not listening. They don't want to hear it. She thinks of them as a car. She's very incongruent. She's got mental problems herself. For a fact, I know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's just a very difficult situation. And sometimes I have to just say, my job is to be the communicator. I'm the middle person. I'm going to give the information. So as much as I want to help and as much as I'd love to make that change for the horse, I've done all I can do here. And it's, it's hard. But sometimes that's my only job is to just send that information out to the person. And I try and hope and pray that they'll accept it and then do something with it. This is a quotation from James Herriot, the author of All Creatures Great and Small. He was a veterinarian who pioneered research into anesthetic use and treatment for them as patients. And here's what he says. 
If having a soul means being able to feel love and loyalty and gratitude, then animals are better off than a lot of humans. You have nothing to worry about there. Mm. Wow. Harriet, for those of you who are unfamiliar, I I have learned about him through our editor, Dave Herman, who's the host of one of our other podcasts, Auto Worlds. And he has shared with me quite a few stories of Harriet's research into veterinary science. And I, I will try to dig this up for the show notes here. There were cases Harriet had where there was probably nothing he could do for the animal. And it was, I think, a sheepdog or, you know, a work dog, something one the family needed, but also much loved. And obviously with it being in such pain, they wanted to either be able to heal it, restore it, or help it have as easy a passing as possible. And Harriet mm-hmm. tried everything. And he said, well, the only thing I can do at this point is just make his passing easy. Let's, you know, say your goodbyes. And you know, I've had three dogs. I'm on my fourth now. It's never easy. It never gets any easier. We were just at a funeral for a family friend. Saying goodbye is never easy, regardless of to whom or to what. And the family gathered around. He administered the medications. The dog stopped breathing. And he thought that was the end of it. But he just sat and watched and watched to make sure. And I forget exactly how much time passed. A couple of days later, or a few I think it was at least about 15 to 20 hours later, if not longer, the dog got up and was fine. And he's standing there agog going, that that doesn't work. What? And the family asked, that was the family's reaction. And he said, "I look, I can't tell you. I, I do not know how or why or the, the, I don't know the specifics of this, but it worked. Be grateful. Just wow. Be grateful. So time passed. And again, he had to, I think it was a horse or perhaps a sheep or another cherished animal on a farm. And... Not the same condition, but the same circumstances where everything he tried could, did, did not work. The animal was going to die. And again, he found himself standing there at a crossroads, but this time he had an idea. He said, well, there's one last thing I can do. It shouldn't work. I've only seen it happen once, and I have no reason to believe it should happen again, except that it did once. So if you are willing to let me try, I, I can't guarantee anything, but it is one last thing I can do. And sure mm-hmm. enough, he induced a very low coma-like state, and the animal slowly recovered. And what they theorize now is partly what you'll see in the research where we're pushing for inducing near-death or coma-like states in people in critical condition to help preserve bodily function, but also to calm down all of those panicking inflammation responses to pain. Everything that overloads and floods the system, if you can quiet a lot of that down, you can allow the body's natural processes the time they need to function. Does it mean it will always work? No, but it can be helpful. And he had, this was at a time before we were understand, beginning to understand how that phenomena worked. Jared, I got to, can I say something real quick? Go right ahead. Oh my gosh. Okay. You must be on the same energy wavelength as I am because just the other day I read, I don't remember where I read it, but it was on my phone, obviously about a woman who had been dead. She had been dead 10 times, mm. back 10 times. Now, the, the premise is exactly what you just described. She had debilitating migraines for over, that's over 20 days a month, which I used to have. And I can tell mm-hmm. you that's a living hell, right? <laughs> yeah. You lose a day of your life. You're in a dark room. It is absolutely, you literally would just be like, take my head off. I can't take this anymore. And they, she tried everything and nothing was working. And it was this new procedure where they did just exactly what you described. 
They would bring her almost to, they use the propofol, bring her almost to death. And then just at a slight moment, they would bring her back. Almost, they described it as when you reboot your phone, you know, if it's stuck Mm -hmm. or your computer, it's like, well, I have to just reboot this thing. I got to start over again. 10 times. And guess what? After the 10th time, she was completely cured. Now, I'm not recommending this. (laughs) No. It's a little scary to me, but wow, isn't that bananas? It's It's just like, wow. I think... There are certain types of injuries. I've had severe nerve injuries where I know from experience the body can be trapped in its own responses. Mm-hmm. And I know as as my physical therapist who her family explained to me, not all of those responses are good long term. They are necessary and useful for the moment, but that doesn't mean they're helpful forever. And sometimes a lot of what, or a lot of what we do is trying to both remove the memory or work past the memory, but also the body's insistence that this is still necessary to do and to, and to hold on to. And I remember we were conversing one day and they said, you know, it's funny, you cannot heal the body without the healing the person as well. As much as there's a physical journey, there's also the emotional one, this mm. sense of who I am becoming wrapped up in what has happened to me. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of the healing is not necessarily in this belief that we will come back to or be who we were, but that we will move on to who we need to or will next be. Yes, yes. And this is where I help a lot of folks with mind, body, spirit alignment. You have to have all three of those to be the human that you were meant to be, meaning your highest self in this lifetime. Even if you don't believe in reincarnation or any of that, there is a highest self because obviously it, it, you at 20 and you at 35 or 40 is a totally different person. You've had yes. different experiences. You, you've grown so much in just life lessons and knowledge and wh- what you've learned and trained yourself to be. So if that's true and we're currently always progressing, then obviously, I mean, if you, you've got to have the mind, body, spirit, all in alignment, all working for you. And I think that's where a lot of breakdowns happen is that we're human. We try to take on more than we should sometimes. And Mm -hmm. then one of those areas gets depleted and we don't know how to really fix it. And that's, that's something that I help with as well, just for, so instead we fixate on what we can't do on who we can't be on what is impossible or we see as impossible. I had a conversation with my coach recently, and that was a transition for me after going through a severe number of traumas rapidly in succession over the course of a few years death, injury, illness, and just repeatedly in succession, one after the other. And I did not want to talk to a shrink. I did not want prescriptions. I didn't want to dwell because I had done enough of that. Family recommended this woman a life coach to me, Ferial. And the first day I had with her was a transformative moment. We were talking and she listened. And then she said, what do you want to do about that? Mm. And then recently we were talking. I'm writing a fiction book on the side, also Here Be Tires. Cool. It took me a long journey to get to the name of that. I won't share it here, although it is deeply animal-related, so maybe I will. We'll get to that toward the end, though, under the one inspires. But cool. she asked me what had changed between when I was first writing it and where I was at now, because I'm much further now. And I said to her, you know, I would not have believed it then, but I was not the person I needed to be. I was not the writer I needed to be. And I don't just mean in terms of technique and skill and practice. I was not the person I needed to be to tell the story I have to. Now, Mm -hmm. now I am. And that's, I feel that difference. 
I know who I was then. I see who I am now. Who I am now can tell the story. Who I was then could not. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's, I believe you. Yeah, it, it's, it's so easy to see afterwards mm-hmm. when someone yep. asks you. But during that journey, I could not have told you this was going to be the, <laughs> if not the destination, <laughs> certainly, then the current place I am along it. In your work now, because you call yourself a life optimization coach, do you always work with humans and animals, or do you also work one-on-one or with groups of people together too? I work I, I work both. So I work one-on-one with just humans that are also trying to find their gifts and need help aligning and finding their true purpose. That's one of my superpowers is I'm a 30,000-foot person. I always have been. So I can see where you're really wanting to go or where you, even if you haven't actualized it yet, even if you haven't said so to yourself yet, but just the leading questions I can ask you, I can figure that out. And I also have retreats where we teach people how to be brave because I believe that for a lot of us, myself, I was always a people pleaser and professionally, I tried to fit into the nine to five and I had a great <laughs> job. And you know what, Jared, it looks so good on paper. Yep. I had, I worked for a senior vice president at a technology insurance company, had great benefits, a decent job, a big office. And you know what? I thought I was dying a little every day because I wasn't using my gifts. I wasn't surrounded by animals. I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. So I help. I don't want people to make the mistakes I made. I'd love to save them from that because it is excruciatingly painful when you're trying to find where you belong or what your path is. Oh, so absolutely. I help them I, I'm find the same way with power. my students. You know, it's, it's difficult and it's stressful and it's, it's a lot of anxiety and depression associated <laughs> yeah. with it, you know? So, but I do retreat as well where we bring in the horses, but we also do cool things. Like we work with the raptors and the predator, like we work with, we'll have eagles and we let you hold them and feed them and, mm. you know, the falcons. And that's a very cool thing because it can be a little bit intimidating. So it's all about building blocks to make you brave, to make you understand that you are a strong being and you can rise to your highest ability, you just need maybe a path to get there and a little bit of confidence along the way. What are the lessons, say, a predator animal such as a raptor different? Are the ones they teach you different than ones a horse might? Completely different. Completely, completely different. So I took my husband for his birthday last year. We went out and we were flying falcons and uh, we had an eagle and we had an osprey. They are very quick, they speak very fast, and they give you maybe one or two words. It's a yes, no, it's a it's a black and white. Horses are color, dogs are color, cats are color. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, full sentences like humans, everything's got texture, cues. context. Yes. Birds, those type of birds, because they're predators, not so much. We were able to feed them and they would actually put out your arm and they'd fly back and forth to you from a branch and back to you. It was super intimidating, but it was also very cool because they're very, very confident because they're prey. I mean, it's predators. They, they're looking for something to eat and it's pretty amazing. And I was a little bit nervous at first, but it's a, a really cool experience. And by the end of it, you feel pretty powerful because they're powerful even if they're only two pounds. They know what they need and they're going to go get it and nothing's standing in their way because it's a survival thing. Well, there's no access to them. I We were in the Hopi Mesas, on the way to the Hopi Mesas in Arizona. This is probably about 10 years ago or longer. And our guide was walking us through, I think we went to the canyon the previous day, sharing us his life stories. And 
Uh, there's actually, it just reminded me of one I think you'd appreciate working in the field that you do. But on our way back from this entire journey, which was a good eight to 10 hour journey, just a small group of us, this Golden Eagle spots our van. And Golden Eagles are huge. Mm-hmm. You you don't truly appreciate that until one is adjacent to you by your window, trying to see what you're about and why, or just to observe and let you know, this is my place. I want you to, remi- to remind you of that and send you on your way. Mm-hmm. But here's this marvelous golden eagle with a huge 10-foot wingspan, probably more. It was hard to get the exact or breadth of it because you're looking head-on at him, or not head-on, uh, right on the side there. And he just followed the van down this entire stretch of the road along the side of the cliff until wow. he had made up his mind about who we were and what we were about. And then our guide said to us, the reason we talk, we respect gold eagles more than bald eagles, and this isn't a political statement, it's simply a, an observation, is that bald eagles are scavengers. Gold eagles are predators. They fly higher. He said, of all the birds of prey, they're the closest to breaking the message, taking the messages from the gods back down. So if yes. one comes, and I remember he said this, I don't know whether they're going to or coming from, but either way, give your message or take it from them. Yes. I was just going to say that to you. They're always coming with a message. Always. And I just remember watching this creature, not commanded, not directed, just there in its life, in its environment, deciding to see us and make its own statement or share its ideas of that. And Mm -hmm. I remember, so to give you some context to that, our guide had shared with us many stories on the trip, and people are kind of want to, when interacting with folks of different cultures, presume that they have hidden wisdoms or knowledges that are going to change and alter their life. It's part of the anthropological tourism that we indulge in nowadays. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get on my soapbox there, but <laughs> <laughs> I do. But this one woman who believed that she was always the recipient of the divine messages was deeply impressed upon and waiting for this, this guide and also the community he was bringing her to to give her the lesson of the day, the thing she was to learn. So here she is on the Hopi Mesa, seven, 8,000 feet in the air, and this gust of wind comes sweeping by, picks up her hat, rolls it up a ladder onto the roof of this building where it sits down by this ancient weathered old man. And so her breath is taken away. She climbs up the ladder diligently. I'm going up the mountain to get my, my message from the wise old man. And she's silent the whole way because, of course, you were here to experience, to learn. You have to be in the now. Na- you know, she's doing everything you're supposed to, right? She's here. She's aware. She's in the moment. Yeah. And she walks up to this old man on the roof and she goes, what was that? And he picks up her hat and he hands it to her and goes, the wind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Wow. (laughs) He's sitting there with his own mind and experiences. And I'm wondering, out of his life, how many times some crazy middle-aged white lady has come up on the roof of his building with some mysterious blessing hoping to be disposed of? Yeah, right. And he goes, okay, well, you know, maybe I had one yesterday, but today, no, this is the wind. Who knows? But it, <laughs> just that. That's so funny. I mean, you know, I I believe that everything happens for a reason. I believe that, you know, every person and every animal that you come across, whether it be a snake or a dog or a horse, they all have meaning and nothing is just by accident. But sometimes, you know, the universe has a way of a sense of humor, right? So (laughs) sometimes, you know, you're looking for something really deep and it's not deep at all. It's just like that. It is what it is, which is pretty funny in that instance. But I was going to say exactly what you said. So everybody has a totem. Do you you have a totem, Jared? Totem animal? 
It's funny. I years ago was working on my tattoo, which I have one. I'm still working on the second one. And it was a, it was a long decision process for me because I'm allergic to most metals that you would wear for adornment. And I don't like to carry a lot of stuff on me. So I wanted something that would be significant and meaningful. And I would say if we're talking totem animals, it's definitely the wolf. That's always been the case. I've loved them. I've adopted them when I was little. I've grown up with dogs my whole life. When we went to the Hopi Mesa, I was immediately upon stepping out of the van surrounded by 10 dogs. Oh, wow. They just walked up to me. They wanted attention. They wanted food and they wanted just to be there. So, and that's happened numerous places. But oddly, the the tattoo itself is a lion, which, well, some people see a dragon, some people see a lion. It's kind of open to your own impressions, I guess. And I I remember I I had never had a tattoo before. I really wanted to have it done in the right place. In Australia and the U.S., the only two places were at the time. This is 15, 14 years ago, almost 15, near my birthday, you know, safe, clean needles, professionals. We had a friend who was a psychiatrist. They're starting to be, and she had received many. Her tattoo at the time was, or the one she just received was a platypus. Okay. Totem. And <laughs> she she shares this with us because she calls her her mentor and expresses to her mentor that I just had a platypus tattooed on my back. And he goes, well, that's absolutely fitting for you. And she goes, I, why? He says, well, think about it. They're shy and reclusive, and they have poisonous spurs on their feet. Ah. <laughs> and she goes, thanks? He goes, no, just... Take it in a good way. They're they're a small animal, but they pack a lot of power. Yeah, and exactly. If you see a platypus, they're tiny, they're adorable, they're weird. Yeah, they're, they're kind of an they're a thing that could and shouldn't be, but there they are, happily paddling along. So yeah, it, it, that says a lot about who you are and your uniqueness in life. And <laughs> the reason I bring up that is that when I first took the illustration that I had done for the tattoo to the artist, he looked and said, "Okay, I have to change this so they can work on a new canvas skin." You're working with paper. They're different. They absorb ink differently. And he sent me his first design. And I looked and I said, that is a platypus. That is not a lion. <laughs> but, and I did. I, I, I learned from how we worked with a separate medium to revise the design. And then he was able to implement it. And it's been there on my shoulder 15 years now. But, Very cool. Yeah. I If I did the next two I would do, I've been working on a an eagle for a long time. I just haven't. Well, Firebird, but Eagle Design. I haven't finished it, and I know when I get to it, I will, when the time is right. And that was kind of the thing I've come to understand. You, I, For me, they're not a thing you do willy-nilly. It's, nope. But weirdly, I think the wolves would be the last ones. Those would be the final. If I did a third set, it would be a wolf on a coyote. Because I'm, I'm a Gemini. I'm of two minds on everything, and occasionally they agree. Yep, yep. I love wolves. I love wolves. And I, mine is the hawk. Or osprey, okay, yeah. and and I always see them. But I guess the point is that if you can figure out what your totem animal is, and you probably will because you'll see them frequently, they always have a message. And a lot of the times, the characteristics that they have are the characteristics that you have, and some of them may be dormant in you. Um, you may not realize that, but as as you know, all the dogs walked up to you. That's you're obviously that you, that's that's your aura. That's what you're projecting. That's what they respond to, mm-hmm. and they just uh, they always have. Um, um, I mean, think of that golden eagle following you guys. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's amazing, and I, it, it is something when you're with these birds. Just as you said, you don't realize how big these things are, no. and even the small the smaller ones, they are still just as powerful. Like, don't mess with me. I uh, I'm not fooling around here. I mean, they are tough as nails. Their talons are really long, like as long as our fingers, mm-hmm. and they can rip and shred things. 
they fly really high and it's pretty cool. And you just don't realize how magnificent they are until you're close to them. But the, the really cool thing, Jared, was when you put your arm out and you'll feel them like, you feel like a whoosh, 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 like when they're coming up to land on you. And I always thought they'd grab you really hard, like mm-hmm. with their talons. You have a glove on, obviously. They are so gentle. It just, you could feel the wind from their wings and they just kind of lightly get on. Like it's, it's like very light. Like they know that you're fragile. Like it's okay. Just, just hold me up. It's okay. But um, <laughs> it's very cool. And I do think that all these animals are super smart, very intelligent. They cohabitate with us. And they do have messages for us. It's just up to us to look for the messages and to see the messages that are coming from them and other realms. It's just, they're always there. I can't tell you how many times I'll be driving down the road and I'll see an eagle or I'll see a hawk Mm -hmm. and nobody's looking but me. Or sometimes you're driving down the road and you'll see something and nobody else is around. It's like, well, that's a clear message for you. You know, it's, it's it's funny you say that. We years ago did research into my family on well, my father's side, Surf, which is his family line, comes from Alsace Lorraine, and the crest of the family is a deer. It's a buck with antlers. And I forget, I think it's two chevrons and some stars, blue and white. It's been a long time since I've seen it last. But I live on the Aqueduct Trail now, and there are always deer on it, and they've never bothered me. And it's I have never felt a sense of threat from them, nor felt a need to threaten them or convince them that I am bigger or nastier or not worth their time. It's just, there you are, here I am. Okay. I've seen coyotes on the trail and they go their way, I go mine. There's no sense of, I don't know, fear or animosity or concern there. And maybe it's because I've spent enough time surrounded by animals to not be surprised that when they do appear Mm -hmm. in the environment. And that took a bit of acclimation. But the, I want to ask you in our time remaining here, what is it that inspires you most? What, not just as a healer, but as a person, what gives you life? What brings you joy? Animals give me more joy than anything, but I'm also very creative. So I write and I draw and I photograph. And one of the most wonderful things that I think that that makes me the happiest is being around animals, but also wild animals. When I lived in Connecticut before we moved to South Carolina, which was just eight months ago, we were in a very remote area and we always had bear and I had more bear than you can shake a stick at. And every year the mother would come with babies and (laughs) it was, they'd come up and they'd get very, very close to us because they knew, I I always thought that they couldn't tell that I was photographing them because they would eat the bird food. So they'd Mm -hmm. basically jump up, they'd, they'd get the bird bird holder thing they you know put it to the ground and then i'd be maybe two feet away from them in uh, at my basement and i had a slider there so i'm taking pictures now i thought because i'm still a human they don't see me they can't <laughs> they can't hear my clicking of my shutter on my camera and little did i know of course they saw me of course they heard me but they would let me take literally thousands of pictures of them and i did it for years and it really taught me that we can cohabitate together and it's more about a respect. It's just that I respect you and you respect me. I'm not going to be aggressive, but animals, of course, thrill me more than anything. And I love to talk with them and also anything in the arts. I mean, music inspires me greatly. I could not live without music. Every day I've got to have some sort of music Mm -hmm. and knowledge. I love to learn. Those are the, you know, creating and learning is... (laughs) 
It's like a, a lifelong thing. I want to share what you wrote here. You said, I love movies. Can't live without them. Love action, fast moving, especially ones that seem out there. Anything to do with space, medieval times are the best because everyone is riding horses or dragons and women who kick butt naturally because why not? Yes. I, it's I a, love that. I, I love it. The sentences actually became just so short and quick here because you were so excited about what you were writing. <laughs> I think I would love to ride a dragon. I would love to be that person like Daenerys on Game of Thrones. I mean, I just, I love all that sci-fi. You're a fan of the never-ending story too, I imagine. Of course, yeah. of course. I, I just, I love all that stuff. I just feel like there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more lessons in there than people just, you know, take it on surface. It's so stupid. It's like, give it a chance. I don't, I'm just into it. Anything medieval, I, I... I, I'm into it. I just think it's amazing you know, and, and different and I, wonderful. I should have asked you this earlier, given your interest, but have you studied the Chinese Zodiac system? I have studied it a little bit, but not in depth. But yes, I'm very much, yes, yeah. Okay. But part of the reason I ask, and this is one of those little pieces I'll give away on this one, because I could go on forever here. Way back when I was learning how to write and how to create characters, I tried anything and everything to find out who they were. So like many of us who want to, you figure out what their signs are, rising house, et cetera. You go to other cultures and figure out what they'd be under that. The the two that stuck out to me here are one of the protagonists, Adam, who is a tiger, and his future wife, Sophie, who is a dragon. And it's funny because for the earliest parts of writing the story, I did not truly understand what it meant for her to be a dragon and to be so demanding and insistent on things having on having things her way. Mm. And then one day I was writing a scene where Adam and his friend and are deciding to go off and do a thing they shouldn't do one last time. And his family, Sophie and their child, Jaden, are not keen on this. And I thought those two, the wife and the child, wanted to come along because they wanted him to continue protecting them. But what I realized finally, writing this, coming back to the scene, understanding who Sophie was, who their child was, who Adam was, no, she and her child are insistent on coming along because they're the only things in his life that keep him grounded. He is mm -hmm. not there to keep them safe. They are there to keep him where he's meant to be. And that understanding that he is not the power there, she is. That was the moment I began to realize what it meant for her to be a dragon. Mm -hmm. And what that demanding, that insistence, that knowledge of the way things are and how they should be. And will you not just shut up and listen? Yes. Yes. I am bigger and louder and I know, and here's why. And not in an aggressive way, but here's why I have been made bigger and louder so that you will hear me. Right. It's fascinating. I I like all of these. And I guess this is partly why I'm so so interested. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to talk to Sharon, but her whole methodology for understanding people through their names, I, I had to learn more about because it's not a thing I've encountered before. And I think like you, the not knowing of something makes me want to not master it per se, but to understand and see where it can lead me next. Definitely. That's fascinating to me. Fascinating. I'm so, I'm so into that. I think, and I do, it's just goes back to, I think that there's a reason for everything. I mean, it's just incredible. I, I just think there's so much out there that we can tap into that can tell us who we really are and can elevate us to our next level just by gaining some information. You don't have to master it, as you said, but it's fascinating. I just, there's so much, there's so much that we can absorb and learn from. Amazing. I want to finish up on this last set of questions or these last few notes. There are, because there is so, because there are so many ways and things we could learn, I think it's of the utmost importance for us to find and have the right mentors in life, to have the right guides. Definitely. And not just for us to have the humility to understand that we need that, 
but also the awareness and the the presence of mind, the the mindfulness to find the right ones. And you mentioned two in your notes, your father and your horse replay. Would you like to talk about either of them? Sure. My um, my father was a videographer. He um, taught in college system for, he's a professor for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. He uh, actually was the one who, we would do funny things. My father was very gregarious and talkative and he was a writer as well. And we would do things like we would go for Indian walks you know, we'd take a blanket and we would actually walk around because uh, we live in a very small town with a lot of woods and people mm-hmm. thought we were kind of funny, <laughs> but kind of brought in the Native American culture that runs a little bit through my family and kept the traditions alive. And we did things like sing at the piano and he just uh, was very creative and kind of taught me that you can make something out of nothing. But the way that you can be happiest is by doing what you love and that's not really a cliche. I mean, you really need to figure out what your gifts are and then triple down on them because if you do that, the other things will come. Um, but it's more about understanding yourself. And he just taught me so much about the outer world and how to try not to judge so much. Try to let <laughs> things be and understand them as they are. There are some things you cannot change. Um, which I think was a huge lesson for me. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, my horse replay was the first horse that I had, and he was a rescue. Um, he had had a lot of problems with his feet because he wasn't properly taken care of. Hmm. And when I got him, he basically broke down. So I moved him within two weeks of buying him from where he was because the person there, the barn manager, was not taking care of him. And the Lord just told me, you got to get him out of here. Like, you, you got to get him out of here now or he's going to die. So I got him out, I brought him to a new barn, and then of course we had the vet in and he broke down. And the vet said, he broke down physically, the vet said he needs a year off. And he Mm -hmm. said he'll never show again in the ring. He said, I don't even know if you can ride him. Now think about this, I just bought this horse (laughs) with all the money that I had, because I fell in love with him. I was talking to him on a regular basis. And I remember so specifically that they were kind of working on him in the cross ties and he was, you know, bleeding because they were trying to drain his abscess in his mm-hmm. feet. And he looked at me and I just was so like, oh, I can't believe this. I mean, I really love you. What am I going to do now? And he just said, don't give up on me. Just give me some time. I'll be okay. And you know what? He was. We went on to show. I had him another 15 years. Mm. I mean, so he taught me a lot about life and about not giving up and about understanding them is key because they can give us help as well. Like he was trying to cheer me up, if you will, because I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, what do I do? Because when I have animals, I don't, um, I keep them forever. They're like my kids, right? I don't, you know, get rid of them. And I couldn't sell him. I mean, he was injured. So he taught me a lot about having a sense of humor, um, getting through difficult times, not giving up and having faith in yourself. Both of those two were amazing, amazing to me in my life, changed my life. It amazes me how often this comes down to fear, our own fears and expectations, and how we limit ourselves by falling into them and staying there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it does sometimes take a moment or someone else to pull us aside and say, well, I'll, I don't know if you've ever heard the tale of King Solomon's ring, but there's the Hebrew phrase for it, and then there's also the translation which goes, so it's gamze yavor which is literally or translated into roughly, this too shall pass. And it is a, it's, an, it's a myth. And 
the the general sense of it is Solomon sends someone off or does himself go on a journey to find a thing that will make the happiest man alive sad and the saddest man alive happy. And it, in a way, it almost kind of encapsulates the entirety of Ecclesiastes, that all of this will be and all of this will happen, but it will not remain or stay as it is. Just that willingness of, hit, of this, this animal to say, have patience, that this too shall pass. Mm-hmm. And we will be someone else. We will have a different relationship. We will have a different life. But this is as it is for the moment. Mm-hmm. And that you need to accept that and be here with me in that. Support me. Yeah. I think the word I would use there is grace. It is a thing we often find hard to embrace or indulge in in ourselves, but occasionally we encounter it in our lives. Yes. Yes. My father, by the way, said that saying all the time. (laughs) My whole life, he always said that to me, this too shall pass, Julie, don't worry. This too shall pass. I was actually going to get a tattoo of it because he always said it to me. Wow. And I can't believe you just said that because he said all the time. And it made me, it makes you think exactly what you said, that sometimes we just need to go through something to season. Someone passes away or you lose an animal or you maybe lost your job or something that's very serious and very mm-hmm. difficult, but it's not forever. It's a season. And then you, for some, you know, it's kind of like to thy own self be true. It's, it's both of those. I always, those are kind of, I always hold those in very high regard because they're both so true. They ring so true. And sometimes it's very difficult, easy to say, hard to do, as you just said. Hard to feel, but, yeah. Yeah, this dude show pass is completely uh, true and gives us hope in difficult times. It's a, Oh, I think it gives us hope in difficult times, and it also helps us to appreciate the moments that we have. Yes. You, you can say to yourself, this wonderful moment is ephemeral, but... It's also ephemeral, which means there'll be time for another one after. I have witnessed enough people struggle with their lives, and I, you know, I, I teach writing and storytelling now. I've coached business owners before as well. There are often these moments where you want to give up some of it or all of it entirely for one reason or another. And if you can just find that one tiniest thing to look for, to hope for, to not to expect joy, but to believe or anticipate the joy of, it gets you through, I find it gets you through that moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I lost my job as a teacher years ago, and it, struck, it took me a long time to return to the idea that I could and should be one. Recently, I was talking to one of my students, and she said she struggled with trying to tell her story and write it, but she struggled most of all with not finding any joy at all in the process itself. Mm-hmm. So our first work was that. And the day she came back to me with an, after we'd done an exercise, or I had asked her to do an exercise, and she came back and outlined this entire progression she wanted to do to showcase her learning and her finding the joy and having that be the entirety of the experience and more and more of it. I sat and went, I forgot what it is like to inspire someone. That's so cool. That's so cool that you realized that, that you got past it and you, and you were able to do that for her. That's amazing. And I think that is... It is so easy for us to forget who we can help and inspire. If there's nothing else we take away from this conversation today, our audience takes away from this conversation today, what is the one thing you want them to know, to be aware of, to do, to act upon? I want them to know that animals are thinking, feeling beings. They can be your best friend and they can help you through almost anything if you would just open your mind and listen to them and look at them and just be present with them, be mindful with them. They love humans. 
and they want to help us. They want to support us. And you just need to give them that opportunity to do so. Julie, thank you. It has been a wonderful conversation with you today. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I have, Jared. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be here with you today. I love talking with you. I can't thank you enough. I had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Where can people find you and interact with you, engage with you, or ask for your help? They can go to motivation-addict.com. <laughs> <laughs> that's the name of my website. Okay. So it's motivation-addict.com. Uh, that's the best way to reach me. And then you can contact me via email or my phone number. Everything's there. It's the best way to, to reach out to me. And you have some upcoming, you have some 30-day coaching programs, Bust Your Burnout, Raising the Bar, both for equestrians and entrepreneurs. Yes. That's under work with yes. me on your website. Yes. So I have 30 day, um, 30 days for equestrians, 30 days for heart centered leaders, or if you're stuck in a nine to five, I can help you with there as well. <laughs> if we could all <laughs> migrate out of that life, it would be, yes. uh, it'd be nice. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jared. It was wonderful to talk with you today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. So that's all for tonight. If you like what you hear and you want to show you as a born, you can subscribe to us at patreon.com slash Diaries. That's with a Y. For a dollar or more. There are all kinds of rewards, including access to our online workshop and Discord. Of course, if you have a story of your own that you'd like to share, or have us revise, you can write to us and my name, dot my last, and you me dyers. See you all next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>